Welcome to Nudia's Mastermind. This podcast is a place where success and fulfillment meets. A space where I invite guests from all walks of life who have succeeded at a high level in a specific area. A space where we will share their champion stories, including the wins and the highs, but also the lows and the challenges, yet how their passion and consistency inspire them to keep pushing forward and creating major breakthroughs in their lives. Also sharing our why, sharing what fulfills us, because what's life about without enjoying the journey? Please subscribe, share, and rate us. My intention for all of our listeners is to be inspired into taking action to live the life that you truly desire. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Nuria's Mastermind. Another great episode with another incredible guest, my friend, Clayne Wayman, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I hear the applaud in my head. (laughs) The applaud is is me and then, you know, definitely uh, everyone else out there, but how are you doing, Klein? So good to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Uh, I'm on the cusps to leaving for quite the adventure in the Amazon rainforest. Uh, I just packed my bags and uh, it's like, wow, it just hit me like this is really happening. You know, I'm going to be gone for like three to four months. I don't have my return ticket home yet. So it's like a little open-ended, open-ended on when I'm coming back. That's uh I can, I can only like sense that the energy you, you must be feeling and, um, all of the emotions, you know, that come with that. And before we get into some of the reasons of why you're taking this journey, I do want to start out with explaining to all of our listeners of sharing a little bit of your story and background, but I want to start it out with how we met each other and feel free to, you know, chime into this, but I, I'm pretty sure it was around the year 2008. Yeah, that's the exact number I was going to say too. <laughs> and that's a long time ago. Clay, I've known you for a lot of years. Yeah, you have. Yeah. So, so Clay, um, Clay is a mortgage loan officer and obviously I got into title. And so we had met by um, a, a boss I had at the time and um, that we got introduced to each other, used to close out our title company. And then years and years pass by and we're still connected. It's been so fun to watch your journey into spiritually awake awakening. Um, and at the same time, knowing you back then to the person you are today, you're a completely different person in all the, in all the good ways. (laughs) I, you know, I remember back in the day, you, you, uh, you were really living a completely different life. And I know you have your background and your family of the polygamous world. And you went through all of that shift in your life. Uh, you went through your own spiritual journey that woke you into, into even writing this book. And I know there's so much there's so much there, you know, like so, so much purpose, so many stories, um, that I know are going to shed some light in some things that definitely need to be seen, but I, it's been fascinating to watch you in the journey. I'm honored to know you and I, I'm, I'll probably turn the time over to you to just start sharing a little bit of those pieces of the story of, you know, who you were and who you've become now. Yeah, thank you. 
Thank you, Nudia. Well, first of all, I consider you a dear friend and it's, it's amazing to me to think how many years it's been. <laughs> so what is that? We do the math. Was that 14 years? Yeah. Yes. That is crazy, <laughs> right? When you think that you're just living life, enjoying it. Like I see you often and it's like, oh my gosh, we've known each other for so long. That's so cool. Yeah. That, yeah. At our age, that's almost half of our that's more than half of our adult life. <laughs> <laughs> we both have seen each other through like different relationships, you know, and uh -huh. like different places to work. It, it, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot of, a lot of years. And I'm grateful to have shared those with you for sure. Yeah. So thank you for having me on. It's a, it's an honor. Uh, so just jumping, jumping into my story as, as you shared. Uh, so presently uh, I'm, in the mortgage profession. I've been in the mortgage profession for 18 years. Uh, so, which is kind of crazy in of itself. I'm not even 40 and I've been in the business for 18 years. Uh, You're a baby. <laughs> I know, just a baby. I was at the ripe old age of 20 when I got in the business. And uh, for whatever reason, I've, I've stayed through it, even through the hard times. But hey, if we met in 2008, you had to have been one of the shining stars of that year. 2008 because there were a lot of things oh that my gosh so that's so, so yeah. true anyone who overcame that crash is like definitely <laughs> yeah you know we, yep. we we went through a lot of things so I agree yes we did I'm married I have four little four little girls my oldest is 13 my youngest is uh almost one and a half so uh, and boy, they're all full, full of their own unique side of their personality. Uh, but my background, my background growing up, well, I was I was born in a, a polygamous culture, and uh, when I grew up in that, it was it was it seemed normal. It was the only thing I knew. It seemed really strange to me that we had neighbors that were monogamous. The word monogamy was considered a swear word in our family, and so. There was a one time when I was approximately 10 years old, the neighbors ha had built this huge brick barn and they opened it and they could open their hay barn to feed their horses and they would taunt us over the fence and they'd be like, hey, you polygamists, hey, plagues, hey, plagues, you know, they're, you know, they're just being, you know, like kids do. And I was playing around in the barn area there and I jumped out, felt I stood up tall and strong and I yelled at them, says, well, guess what? you're a monogamist and <laughs> like I don't even know what that means like that was the equivalent of saying the f word uh in my culture is is saying the word monogamy uh my father used to scream at the at the family in Sunday school is about our monogamic ways and how he's going to root out monogamy out of the out of our system and how it's in our DNA and blood, and he's committed to get rid of that monogamy. And, and then that kind of just followed suit with the church leaders. The church leaders uh, looked at monogamy as something small and little. And so this was really, really a tough uh, environment. Uh, what few people know about me is uh, I was pulled out of, I was pulled out of homeschool, I was homeschooled. And the whole ideology around homeschooling was you know, I don't want to be exposed to the wicked ways of the world. So they wanted to homeschool me. And then at 13 years old, you know, the apocalypse was supposed to be coming anytime. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the fourth of 45 kids. And so I was pulled wow. out of homeschool to go work full time for an uncle doing flat work concrete. 
We are born. So, we were born. Hold on. So four out of 45 children. Yeah, I was raised with four moms. <laughs> so four moms. Can, can you explain a little bit? Like, how does that work in, in a polygamous religion where um <clears throat> You know, I, I have a little bit of background because I've lived in Utah, but for those of the people who aren't familiar, you know, how does that dynamic actually work? Yeah. So in this particular culture, uh, they looked at, they consider uh, plural and celestial marriage. And if God said that you need to have more than one wife, you need, that's something that you need to do. Otherwise, you know, you may not get to the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom. And so there was a hierarchy of kingdoms. And in order to dwell with God for eternity, you needed to live the highest laws. And one of the crowning principles of these highest laws, one was considered plural marriage or what we, what the outside world calls polygamy. The people on the inside, they don't refer to themselves as polygamists. They refer to themselves uh, living the law of Sarah or living the celestial law of marriage. Uh, so it was, it, it was just, a, it was just common. It was just a common, common thing. Uh, and like I said, I said earlier, it was strange that anybody else were monogamous out, outside of that. So how it worked, you know, my four mothers, they lived in one, it depends on how deep you want to go. I guess part of it would be their story. Different polygamous men, you know, run their household a little differently. Like some may have, uh, uh, you know, if they're able to do it financially, they're, they'll have separate homes for, uh, for their women. That, that, that didn't seem that common in my particular, uh, uh, I guess, cult around my, my circumference of culture, although there are men that do that. All the women lived in one home, and uh, we got started in a relatively small home. It was, it was like a three-bedroom, five, no, five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, so that was considered a nice-sized home. Uh, but when you have that many people of the 45 siblings, I would say I grew up with about 35 of them. The others okay. came about, uh, after I had, had left home. Uh, nice. so no, thanks for explaining that just to have, just to bring a little bit of context to that. But so you obviously had your, your biological mom, but the other three women or wives, you would also call mom. So you, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah they, they were all considered our mother. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. It was considered monogamy if we favored our birth mother over other mo mothers. <laughs> so uh, we referred to each of our mothers as mother. Like we would say mother in their name, you know, so whatever their name was. Uh, but we clearly, as siblings, we, we clearly knew who our birth mother was. And uh, there's something built in your DNA where you just have a natural bond for who your birth mother is. Uh, and I yeah. think that just nature's nature's way that you ultimately cannot root out. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So you live in this culture, you live within this, you know, environment and what, uh, when was it in your life that you chose? This isn't quite it for me. You know, it took, it took a while. I was, uh, I was married. I was, I was married to a woman that the church, uh, had married and, uh, quite often, uh, the, the marriages are arranged marriage, but to this particular, this that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, I was, I was well into my adulthood by the time I made the decision that I was, uh, gonna, gonna make them make the move. What a lot of people don't realize about a culture like that is, uh, when you, when you decide to leave, it's not just, you know, you decide you make it a decision on where you're going to spend your couple hours on Sunday. I mean, it's, we're talking about a huge uh, social 
structure decision. Like when you when you decide to leave, there's a whole built-in structure that they automatically think that you're a lost soul, you're damned, you're going to hell, the devil has you. Uh, and uh, so it took me a while to unwrap it. Uh, I knew that I'd be stepping out. For, it was probably, it was 2009, so a year after we met. It was around 2009 when I when I uncovered the fact that this was, uh, you know, th this religion was nothing more than just opinions. Uh, the only thing that held it up was uh, people's beliefs. Uh, and it took me several years. It took me, it took me all the way to 2017 to finally to pull the official plug on it. So that's, you know, not too terribly long ago, but I was, but I was started, I was part of that culture on a regular basis all the way up to 2017. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm um, sure that's super difficult for anybody who's a part of any type of religion that's like that. Um, just feeling a lot of, you know, what happens? How are you going to be judged or shamed? Or it's like your whole ecosystem, everything you've always known could just be pulled away from you. So I can only imagine um, how brave that was of you to and other people to like choose something different even with all the pain that comes through it so yeah, um yeah. my hat's off to you and then so you make that decision you completely move away in 2017 finally something new and continue telling us a little bit of your journey of just this mm -hmm. spiritual uh, awakening that you've had for the past few years yeah absolutely so i had a so my big uh so I guess I'll back up. Um, so I, I knew in my mind that uh, this religion would be something that I'd be checking out or as far as, you know, what I mean by check out, I mean, check out like at the grocery store, you're checking out, you're leaving, <laughs> yeah. uh, not checking out as far as exploring. Um, <laughs> I got into, I got into Bikram yoga it, in 2011. And I started doing yoga, which anybody who may not know that it's kind of, it's also referred to as hot yoga, where it's like 90% or pardon me, it's 40% humidity. It's a 90 minute class and 26 postures. And I got in that, I, I got in that because I, I had been, I was divorced and I was like, I'm trying to look for some peace of mind. So I got into some yoga and some meditation and I got in it, I got in it at first as one piece of mind and the other one was exercise and just be healthy type of a thing. And then I just remember, I can't remember what number of class it was. It might've been the ninth class or the 10th class or something. And I remember laying on my mat, sweating profusely, laying on my mat. And then I just, tears started just streaming out of my eyes and I just felt this deep connect. There was the, there was a, the morning sun was shining through this yoga studio and I saw the plants outside. And for whatever reason, I just felt this divine connection to the plants and the people in the room. And as far as I was concerned, the people were quote strangers end quote. And I just started feeling this profound connection right through yoga um, into as early as 2011. And I continued that practice for many years uh, and then I got into different types of yoga. Uh, you got to replace your electrolytes when you're sweating that much. And my muscles started to cramp and so forth. So I got into other types of yoga um, since then. But uh, fast forward to 2016, I, I, for, for nearly two years, I had a sister that was trying to get me to come attend this 
plant medicine ceremony with the, these Native Americans. And I, I kind of put it aside and I did some deep research into it. I had this mortgage brain and if you can't prove something, it never happened. And what, what was really profound to me was all this evidence, like archaeological evidence of the Grok cave, the cave paintings and all this, this evidence from thousands of years ago. Some even claim as, as far as deep as 40,000 years ago of our ancestors participating in these ancient ceremonies that allowed people to alter their consciousness and have communion with other beings, ancestors, the divine. And it was common to them. I mean, we even have a Bible at the very beginning, you have people that are communicating with God and we're like, oh, something happened and we just no longer have that ability. And, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so glad you say that. I just want to touch a little bit on that because I, um, a lot of like religion, I see that there's that hierarchy of it and, um, and I'm being very respectful of everyone else's beliefs. I really believe in respecting that. But what I have found interesting is in some of the ones I've participated in, it's like, there's only a certain type of person that is allowed to connect to God or the higher power or whatever it is, or maybe a small group of people. And what the truth is that anybody has the gift of being able to connect to that higher power. And so uh, for anyone out there that has any doubt in that, this is more in that, that spiritual aspect of it. Like I promise that you have the power within you to be able to connect to God, to the higher power. We all actually have that, not just one person or a group of people. Well, here's what I feel to, this in my discoveries around that is we're never separate from it. And, and when I consider that higher power, hmm. What we're really talking about here is we're talking about the origin of your birth. And uh, we're, we're forever tethered to our origin. Uh, the essence of where the essence of where of, of where we came from. Uh, so fast forward to my big spiritual awakening. I was I finally, you know, uh, I I knew in my heart I'd be doing one, but I had to take care of my intellectual mortgage brain. And I did this research before I did it. And I finally gave it a go. And I was, I was raised in this, uh, this patriarchy, this male dominated patriarch, you know, I mean, well, patriarchy kind of implies that, of course, but, uh, you know, men ruled everything, um, women were to be subordinate to men. And that was just part of the culture. Well, here I am, I participated in this shamanic ceremony. And in this shamanic ceremony, what's so profoundly different is they they prepare you so you can have your own direct experience with the divine and then get out of the way where the religion that I was raised with, um, I have to go through to, through some authority outside of myself to get what they call revelation for my life and, and so forth. And I got to go through the, these, a pecking order of priesthood authorities, they called themselves. And they were, these are the people that talk to God, so to speak. And where what really resonated with me with this particular uh, modality of spirituality was, hey, we're just going to prepare you so you can have your own experience. We're going to get our butts out of the way and let you just have your dialogue with the divine. So that's just exactly what happened. Uh, so my first experience, it started out, first of all, uh, it gets, it got started and 
uh, there's this feminine voice out of nowhere. Usually, it, so the ceremony gets started in the in the night, uh, right around 9:30. We're in the middle of nowhere, Native American country, and I'm laying by a fire. There's like 10 others participating in the ceremony, and all of a sudden, after taking the, you know, that they have this sacramental tea that you take, and uh, after after drinking, probably about 40 to 50 minutes in. Um, this feminine voice begins to speak out of the oblivion. And she says, and when she speaks, she speaks all through you. So it's not just words through your ears. It's, it's words that echo through your being. And she said, why love? And in that moment, I was just immediately transported into this place where no love existed. And uh, even, even the grass, I experienced the grass I was laying on, there was no uh, experienced no love and it was uh, it was just a horrifying experience in that moment so these shamanic experiences are not necessarily all pleasant and fun and games type of thing and this wasn't I I, I fell it felt like I was in the pit of complete despair for uh, it felt like I was going to be there forever and then I remembered the words of my sister my younger sister uh, she and she said hey if anything gets dark just remember the words I love you and so out of nowhere in this pit of darkness, I said, I love you. And then there was a immediately a rip in the fabric. And there was this angelic goddess uh, who I come to under know as God, the mother, which was so contrary to my entire upbringing of having a divine God figure. And it's a woman. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. And she begins to share some of the most profound wisdom and some there's a, my critics they my critics are like oh you're just hallucinating you're you're just having one of those hallucinations I think and whether it was a hallucination or it literally happened or not the the effect was the, was the same and the effect was I I was given this profound wisdom around harmony with the masculine and the feminine mm, and so so yeah and it was a it was a firsthand experience, and she went on to share some of the most profound things with me that I go on to share this story in my book, my book Echoes of Resounding Love. Uh, and from that moment, uh, uh, she shared with I was bat, so I went from this pit of despair to basking in this most angelic, most phenomenal love that words cannot describe. The love that I experienced, and. She, this was the profound thing she said. She said, to fully shine my love, you must look to the rock of integrity. And when she said that, I immediately knew that I needed to come to terms with my religion because I was completely out. I was not living in integrity with religion because here I was pretending on the outside that I was this faithful guy that was following, the, going through the motions. And if I really want to be powerful in my life, want to really create something bold, and really experience this divine love, I had to do, I had to do it on the rock of integrity. And mm -hmm. so from that ceremony, I made the resolve that I would establish integrity in my life. Uh, and that's when I finally went to the church leaders and told them that, uh, you know, uh, I apologize. I actually started the conversation with, I apologize for being so fake to you. And you can count on me from now on. I'll no longer be fake to you. I've been pretending wow. for about eight years. And I just want to let you know that I'm moving on. And they were, uh, the president was so shocked by this conversation. He's like, 
well, don't you want to fix it? I says, yes, I am fixing it right now. I will never be fake to you. I'm moving on with my life. Wow. Uh, thank you. And uh, he was so stunned that he was like, stood on, he stayed on the phone with me for an hour, which was more time than even my father gave me, my own father who's deep in it. And I, I don't want to feel like I'm bashing my father, but he wouldn't, at least the president allowed me to share some of my own side. When I told my father about it, I said, do you want to hear my side of things? And he put his hand up and like, nope, don't want to hear things. Like he wouldn't even hear my side of it, you know? And that's what this, this, this ideology does is it separates you. Um, and this brings me to a story that I feel to interject here, if I may. I would love for you to. Yeah, interject here around this. There's a girl from, uh, from Afghanistan. Her name is Malala. And she was, she was very outspoken and the Taliban was refusing this. This was, uh, they were refusing education to women. And uh, at 16 years old, this girl, this, her father, her father was uh, teaching, he held these little private schools where he was teaching women, teaching young girls an education because the Taliban was saying, no, you can't have an education. Well, his daughter was very outspoken about women have the right for education. Well, the Taliban got sick of it. This 16 year old girl was being so influential with her voice that they shot her. And they, lucky for her, the bullet, the bullet grazed, it went through her, went through her eye and it grazed her skull and it didn't kill her. It did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, it's a phenomenal story. And there's a book that's out called I am Malala. And I will never forget this interview. And, and she went on to win the, the no, a Nobel prize, the youngest ever received a Nobel prize. I believe it was 2015 when she received it. It was either 14, 2015. She received, she's the youngest person to ever receive a Nobel prize. That's incredible. There's an there's interview that, of her father that just hit my core. I was watching you. I was watching her story right after my experience in 2016. I was watching these these interviews on YouTube around Malala, and there's something that her father said that just struck a chord with me in the most profound way. Uh, he, the interviewer, asked her father. Do you hold hate? Do you hold the resentment? This is kind of paraphrasing. Is do you hold hate? Do you hold the resentment towards these men that shot your daughter? And his response was the profound response. He said, It wasn't the Taliban that shot her. It was an ideology. Wow. The reason I, I wanted to interject that story is particularly my father, for example. My father is not, he's, he's not somebody who, and other men, I'm just using my father because this is the upright and personal. This separation that he talks about, he's not being, he's not doing the separation. It's the ideology. And this is how powerful the ideology is. There are ideologies that do not grow you that cause, the ideology itself is like a parasite. And so here you have a Taliban that gripped hold of a, of a parasitical ideology that they, well-meaning men, I'm sure they were, where, where they sh felt perfectly right to shoot a 16-year-old girl because she was using her voice. 
And so that showed me the power that ideology can really have on your mind. Uh, and so just because somebody believes something, that doesn't mean it's holy and sacred. You know, we like, I like to honor people. I like to, I like to be respectful. And I talk to people, let's have a respectful dialogue, even if we disagree on things. Yeah. And Amen. I like to look at, yeah. And I like to look at things like a, like a river. There are some ideologies that are destructive, that are toxic. And I would say the greatest toxic ideology are all of the ideologies that promote separation. And there's like so much to unpackage in all of this conversation, you know, yeah, there, there's so much here. And, and I fully agree. I fully agree with you. I, um, I, I think it's uh, so ironic that all of these, you, you just came out with your book, which we'll get into in a minute. You're going through this health challenge that we'll also talk about, but in the story that you just shared about this woman's voice and she is getting severely punished and really killed for it. They ended in, they didn't end up killing her, but that was the intention of people having a different ideology, a different thought and being punished or murdered because of it. And in other metaphoric ways, sacrificed because of something different. And I love that you share the story. When I saw you um, last week, we met up because you have all of these incredibly overwhelming things happening in your life. And you, you told me that you have felt since you were a very young boy that you could not share your voice. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I just love to start talking about that because I know there's so much in simultaneously and in alignment of you, you writing this book. And, and you even said, doesn't the first page say this is for the unheard or this is for um, people yeah, who like the, don't have a voice. Dedication, it's the dedication page. The dedication page. So tell, tell yeah. us a little bit about this voice that has been shut down for years. And now you're dealing with mm-hmm. this health challenge. And this is why you're about to leave and go to the Amazon to get healed from shamans. Yeah. Yeah. So it's common when someone publishes a book, they dedicate it to, to something or someone or, or whatnot. There's some kind of dedication typically. That's, that's typical that authors do. And so mine is very simply, but very powerful. And that is I, in my dedication, I, I dedicate this book to the voiceless. The voiceless. Wow. I, so just to, just to preface this or just share a little bit of context, Clayne, I made a big announcement, which he, you know, he'll talk about in a minute, but, um, publicly on Facebook. And as I'm watching his video, him being the most vulnerable I've ever seen him. And he's also talking about his book and he shares this piece. I just get chills all over my body. And in so many other points, even coming back through the just generational trauma, because it didn't start with you. And there's actually a phenomenal book out there. You guys should all read it. That's the, that's the name of it. It didn't start with you, but you had the conversation with your mom about feeling, not feeling voiceless or not feeling um, heard. And Mm -hmm. 
Can you tell us what your mom said? Yeah. So 2000, 2012, I was part of this company that didn't have any marketing. And uh, I, so what I did is I hired, hired a film producer. This was t- so 2012. I hired a film producer and I brought in 20 different people that were going to be interviewed that day. And uh, I was going to be among them. Uh, so uh, I had everybody come in. They got their interview and I, I saved my interview for last. And uh, I knew I knew exactly in my mind what I was going to say. I went on set. And as I went on set, I went to speak and I just locked. I was like, bah, bah. and so I'm like, OK, yep, yep. Just just I told the guy, camera guy, just just a minute. I got up and I went to my notepad and reread my notes and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to say this. So I sat, I, uh, I, I sat back in the chair and went to continue and I locked up again and I went on to do that a third time. And there was a, there was a spiritual woman that was, uh, there that was, she was, she was watching it and she pulled me aside and she says, claim to really get your, to land your interview. You need to go see this, uh, regressive hypnotherapist. And here's his business card. Why I recommend you you uh, reach out to this guy. So uh, so I did. I, t- I took I took her up on that, and I went and uh, made the appointment. And I we met I met with him once a week for four weeks. So and it was the fourth session when it happened. So what he did in regressive hypnotherapy is he regresses you back in time in your life. And what's crazy about the methods that this hypnotherapist did is when when I was going through it each phase of my life that I visited through this uh, hypnosis it was as though it was present right there like it was present and then it was the fourth session the fourth session when you're talking about voicelessness is where where this happened he regressed me all the way back to my mother's womb and one of the questions he asked is what are you feeling and I said I feel like I don't have a voice. And she goes, okay. And then he brought me out and he, he, he brought me out of the session and he said, uh, so your homework from this session is I'd like to ha- go have you go have a conversation with your mother and see what was going on in her life when you were in the womb. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I didn't tell my mother about hypnotherapy or anything. I just went to my mother. Uh, like I said, this is 10 years ago, 2012. And I said, hey, what was going on in your life when I was in the womb? And she said, well, your father had just taken a second wife. And I felt like that I didn't have a say. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, she says, I didn't feel like I had a say in anything. Uh, so I told her, thank you. Thank you. And so, uh, by the time I had a fifth session, this cleared it, cleared it up and I was able to, you know, after this whole process, I was able to clear the voice, the, that voiceless thing. But, uh, fast forward, the reason I'm going to the Amazon is here. I've been spending the last five and a half years putting this book together. I've dedicated to the voiceless and I shared many things about my, about voicelessness throughout my book. And then here I am at the tail end of completing, ready for publishing. And then I get diagnosed with thyroid cancer. 
which was astounding to me because I'm like, I'm, uh, I thought I'm a pretty healthy guy. You know, I practice yoga, I practice meditation. I eat well. I don't, you know, and uh, what's, what's this was, this came as a huge shocker. I, I found out about my cancer by accident too. I was at a, I was at a stoplight and uh, a car rear-ended me, dropped off my bumper and it just gave me some whiplash. I went to the doc, the paramedics police came and they said, Hey, you know, we recommend you go get checked out. And I did all the scans and the doctor came in and says, Hey, your bones, your brain, everything checks out really well. Um, but we found some nodules on your thyroid and there's a particularly large one. He said, thyroid nodules are common. They're typically benign, but you have a larger one. And for that reason, I'm a bit concerned. I recommend you go get it checked out. And so I scheduled appointments with my primary care physician, went through all the medical hoops and finally got around to getting a referral and get it biopsied. And I had two different doctors come back and say, you have thyroid cancer. Wow. Uh, immediately I connected with my people in the Amazon, you know, and, and uh, talked to my spiritual healers and I have some spiritual healers in Utah. And as I've collaborated with these people, the, the question came right away, like, and it was from multiple different spiritual healers, multiple asked a question to me, which was profound to me. They said, has there been moments in your life when you have been, when you have experienced voicelessness? I about fell off the chair when I heard that. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. They said the spiritual reason behind voicelessness is your thyroid sits at the center of, of your voice. And they say it's your, it's right in the area of your, uh, of your, of your, uh, your, your voice, your throat chakra. Yeah. And uh, it has to do with voice. And here I am releasing the book dedicated to voicelessness. And it's all connected. And I have cancer. And I'm like, wow, I got, I've got to go heal this. And this feeling that came over me was, this isn't mine. This, this is, this is, this is generational. This is ancestral. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, it arose in me. And now I'm going to the Amazon to transmit it or purge it and effectively heal this ancestral line that has suffered from voicelessness. I, I mean, seriously, just chills in so many moments as you're sharing the story. Again, it's it's almost like I become speechless in <laughs> saying something about this because it it just is so ironic, the timing of everything. It's, yeah, it's profound. It, it's so profound. There's so much to like unpackage in it. And I know that you truly feel that you're not only going to heal yourself, but you really truly are healing all of these different generations that haven't had a voice in the systems and the program programming that's been in that culture, you know, and in your family. And I just think I applaud you for being so brave and being a person that stood up against a whole ecosystem and saying, this is not my truth and I'm going to go this route. And then here you are, the person that's going to be healing that for many people and the impact that you're going to make not only for past generations, but for future generations, I just applaud and honor you, my friend. I, um, I'm really excited to read your book. I, I ordered it. Let's talk about, let's celebrate that. By the way, you got bestseller international bestseller. Yeah. 
<laughs> international bestseller. It's amazing. I've ordered it. I, I have it on Kindle, but I want my physical copy. So it's yep, coming. Yeah, you got to have the physical copy. And there's one right here. There's there's one right here. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. And the, the title of it is Echoes of Resounding Love. Yeah. And I know that there's so much in this book, sharing more depths of the story of growing up in this environment, in this culture. And I'm sure there's been a lot of um, conversations you probably had to have with different people. And is there, is there anything that you would like for our listeners to know about the book that perhaps hasn't been quite shared today? Well, Echoes of Resounding Love, A True Story of a Polygamous Kid's Journey to Spiritual Awakening. Um, I went on to have, uh, after I went, I went on to have another, uh, plant medicine ceremony where there was this MOA inhibitor I ate. And after I'd integrate, after I established integrity in my life, talking to the leader, talking to my father and talking to other people about finally that I'm no longer part of this, I became deathly ill. And, uh, I, I was all about trying to heal myself. I made myself this broth and I spent the weekend in bed. And I was, I was just had this feeling like I want to get on with my life. And I reached out to this healer that had, uh, I did this other ceremony with almost a year before. And I said, I want to do another one. And little did I know at the time that uh, this MOA, this particular MOA inhibitor can actually be in the territory of lethal if you're dealing with things inside your system that's form of fermentation. And so even though I had been sick for days and I had still undigested fermentation happen in my, in my gut, I decided to go do this ceremony anyway. And what ended up happening in that is I had a, is I had a death experience where I died. Like I yelled out. I'm like, when, the, when it first started, I was like, I need help. And so if anyone goes into this territory, I say, proceed with caution, do your research, know what you're doing, know what you're getting into. Um, don't, you don't want to have a dangerous situation that I entered into. Um, but it ended up being profound. Um, you could say I died and it, it changed my life forever. Um, and so what's interesting, God, so I, so here I have in this first experience, I meet God, the mother, now I meet God, the father, and, uh, God shared with me his voice. And this voice that God shared with me that I share in my book, he's saying the most incredible love song, Echoes of Resounding Love. And I took from that experience, that's where the title of my book, book came from, is from that experience with God. Wow. It's so beautiful. It's so amazing. I, um, I wish I had more time on our episode today but i want to honor yeah. your time you leave literally tomorrow tomorrow morning yeah tomorrow morning you are heading into the amazon to get a natural healing from the yeah. shamans that you fully trust and healing yeah. through that process i'm sure it wasn't an easy decision yeah um you had multiple different options yeah. and um i know you and your heart feel this is the very best thing for you and i I thank you for your honesty, your vulnerability, and for your example of when you are part of a system or a program that is not for the good of all, and mm -hmm. not that your environment intentionally meant for any harm, but when 
when there is, when there is harm like this, where you're feeling it, you, you know, you're carrying it in your body, the stress, the, um, from any type of system that people can see, people can actually see now by your example of how that unhealthy environment can cause actual sickness in the body. Yeah. And, yeah. and what would you say, you know, what would you say to people who are parts of these environments, these cultures or religions and whatever, even, even sometimes at the workplace, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what would you say about this yeah. environment and how to get out of it? You know, I like to, I like to say, let's look at things like a river running downhill. If you haven't looked at a river in a while, just go take a peek at it and just notice it running in the direction of the river. And so I take that with these ideologies is observe these ideologies like you would a river. What, what do these ideologies flow in your life? What do they produce? What do they manifest? And so some of these ideologies are so toxic that they literally manifest disease in the body. Uh, I, I've recently found out that thyroid cancer is such a common cancer that so many people, and, and what I found out, this is interesting, is women typically get thyroid cancer at a higher rate than men. And so here we live in a, here we live in a patriarchal society, largely, and a lot of these patriarchal societies, women suffer with thyroid issues, which I find really profound. And what once common in these cultures is the shutdown of the voice, particularly women and children. Uh, and so what, I, what would I say to these people? I would, I, I would say to them in, in the most loving way, um, I would say things that no longer serve the highest good. Wouldn't it be wise that we just discard it? Wouldn't it just be wise to just discard it and look at it from the, the lens of like just looking at a river? And I, I think the scary part when I have this type of conversation is they see that how interwoven their life is built on this foundation of an ideology that could just be outright toxic. And it's so toxic that even when I talk about it, they want to even demonize me and say I'm taken over by the devil type of thing. And all I'm saying is if God is life, if God is growth, if God is about abundance, then shouldn't you have ideologies that flourish humanity, not ideologies that cause sickness and the retrogression of life? In my experience, the divine is life. And if you're, and if you're holding on to things that are not life, then you're doing things that's contrary to the nature of our origin, the divine. That is like the biggest mic drop moment of, of all of my episodes. I, um, that's so beautifully and powerfully said, powerfully said, I, I thank you for your time for this hour with me. I am very, um, I'm very hopeful. I'm very excited in so many ways for you with your book, with this journey. And I would love to have you back on the, on the uh, show when you were back, you know, healed, um, and in hearing about that process too. And so, um, we'd, we'd love to hear back from you, Clayne, and, uh, I'm going to drop the link to your book on, on the episode and, you know, on the notes 
that we share with everybody, but everyone can find your book on through Amazon, right? That's where it's being yeah. sold. Yeah. Amazon.com. And by the way, claim gave up a, like an incredible publisher based out of New York city. So he could publish his book right before he left. It was that important to him. I just want to point that out because I know that was probably, um, you, you felt there was so much opportunity there, but you knew you had to drop it before you left. So I just want to give a shout out to that. It's out, go get it. I can't wait to read it. And I know there's probably a lot of personal stories in there. So we, again, thank you for being brave. I honor you, my brother, and I love you. Um, and if there's anything, um, you know, that you'd want to share for final thought, you know, uh, Let's go sing the echoes of resounding love in our heart to ourselves and uh, for others. That's it. There's really nothing more to say. That's beautiful. Everyone, thank you for listening to the show today. We hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nudia's Mastermind. It's an absolute pleasure of mine to be able to share this space with you. There is something so powerful about brilliant minds coming together to help other people grow and to inspire them to enjoy the zest for life. Please subscribe and also follow me on YouTube and on Instagram. My handle is nudia.p.rivera. Now go and create an amazing life.